0: Hi, I'm Dora from Dora Nicolau, and my drink of choice is a chai. I'm Gemma from Contently Driven, and my drink of choice is red wine. And I'm Mikala from Inspired Office, and my drink of choice is a sparkling white wine. Work-life wine time supports the responsible consumption of alcohol. (laughs) Awesome. So it's Gemma here with you today, and I'm ever so excited to introduce to you our amazing guest speaker, Elisa Zhang, who actually is our first ever international guest. How Ooh-hoo. exciting is that? So, hello. Yeah.
1: Very excited. Thank you, Gemma. <laughs>
0: oh, that's that wonderful accent.
1: So, thank you so much
0: for being here. It's so exciting to have you.
1: So, thank you so much, Gemma, for uh, having me. And I think the accent comment goes both ways. <laughs> <'Cause>
0: everybody- <laughs> Uh, no, just- no, no. You have the accent. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> yes. that, that old argument. <laughs> so how exciting. First of all, can you tell us what it is that you do? Yeah,
1: sure, Gemma. Um, so I am uh, a apartment syndicator. So what does that mean, syndication, syndication syndicator? Um, very simply, it's a fancy way to say we're pulling money together from our investors and invest in large apartments. So that's what I do.
0: Wonderful. Isn't that exciting? (laughs) And can you tell us then about your past working life? Like what led you to do what you're doing now?
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, So I um, grew up in China, kind of goes all the way back. And growing up, the only way I know become somewhat well off is basically get a job. So my dad actually was... Uh, traveling. And so my dad lived in Germany and um, Canada. Um, and uh, so he had a job. Uh, and growing up, um, where I was in China, you know, we're middle class, but we lived in like really small studios with four people together. So seeing him having a three bedroom house in the middle of nowhere, in Canada, uh, was actually seeing like, oh, this is how you get to uh, living Comfortably, uh, which is getting a job. Um, and, and so when I graduated, um, I chose the profession, uh, which is computer engineer, uh, to go to college with uh, because that is something that I know guaranteed a job when you graduate from school. So I ended up being the product manager, program product manager, um, a technical position uh, in Microsoft after I graduated from school. So uh, that's basically what I am, which is kind of like a software engineer, but I write specifications, I define customer requirements, basically envision how the product is being built, uh, what product we're gonna build uh, for software companies. Um, so very different from what I do now, um, but I think it definitely ha- gave me the skill sets to really be good with numbers, um, and also, uh, be good with try to problem solve, which is a lot of, um, uh, soft, soft skill sets that you need it as a apartment syndicator or as a real estate investor. Um, yeah, and sure. it also allows you to kind of have some more creative thinking, uh, and strategic thinking very importantly, uh, for any business owner, I think. So it definitely set me up well, but has very different on surface has a very different application.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So what, I guess, from, you know, studying that and then working for for Microsoft, um, I guess then what led you to, you know, transition over?
1: Yeah, definitely. So I think I always talked about this with some of my student mentees, um, is it is really important that you have to define the motivation in your life and then you craft your business or your life around the goals that you set it up um so for me it was really you know i started investing in 2009 because the market was really good because everybody not everybody know but in 2008 uh, the market crashed in us and real estate market that crashed so a lot of people got into the game in 2009 2010 which is really you're buying at the bottom market and mm-hmm. The rest of it is kind of easy. You can make a lot of mistakes. So that's how I got in through real estate investing. We bought a condo unit to start with. We didn't start with multifamily, just single family investing. Uh, but there's really no goals other than oh, let's just make some extra income, or not even income, like equity. We were investing in equity. Um, not until 2015, after several years of investing in single family homes. Um, you know, I was pregnant with my first uh, child, uh, you know, my daughter, at the time, and um, you know, I knew that I had to go back to work because I was the single-income person in our household, and me and my husband has decided that after going back, uh, you know, after we have the baby, he will stay home to be on the childcare duty because we really believed in the involving in our kids life a lot more. Um, so then going back to work is really not a option for me to not go back to work. Um, and then I found that being very dreading. So even during my maternity leave, uh, I've been kind of thinking and researching on how do I quit my job through real estate investing, because that's the only thing I've done outside of my work. That actually was somewhat successful, Um, not stock investing, not any of that, because at the same time, I was looking at my 401k accounts, which for people who doesn't know 401k accounts, your retirement account that your employee contributes to in U.S. Um, And it's just not growing because it was investing in stocks Um, and it was not growing. I'm not a good stock investor. so. It leads me to think about how do I actually quit my job through real estate investing. I literally typed it into Google, and then the, this community called a bigger pockets showed up, which is like a Facebook for real estate investing in U.S. Um, so, you know, I consumed all the blogs, free blogs there is to consume, and then try to connect with anyone who is local. And that really kind of changed the game. And so it's really kind of motivational that changed the game because it was not an option for me to continue stuck in this W-2 or like full-time job kind of environment and spending more time on a commute at a time. Uh, than the time that I spent with my daughter, which is really kind of heartbreaking. Um, So after that, I definitely did a lifestyle change. I switched a job to somewhere that's a lot closer to my home. Still the same IT company, a large company. And I made sure that, you know, I had the flexibility of time to focus on my real estate business. Um, So from there, you know, we were still single family investing. Then we invest in fourplexes, which is in U.S. is still a residential um, purchase, which unlike the multifamily, what they call commercial multifamily, which is five units are up. There's a lot more challenges coming from that. Uh, you know, buying fourplexes is just like buying single family. Um, so it allows me to learn hands-on how to manage um, you know, fourplex multifamily tenants and etc so i collected rent myself i ran out the project myself and my husband actually model like a basically renovated uh these units and then taking a value add strategy which is adding value to the property fix them up raise the rent that type of stuff um and then we took it the deal back into the bank and get a modified loan on this additional refinance what we call it, and then In that process, you can also get a cash out of that refinance, which is essentially making your investment an infinite return investment. Um, So after several of these small projects, the four plexes, then I was ready listening to all the podcasts there is uh, uh, and then ready. It was a natural steps to graduate to scaling up owning smaller apartments, which is more than five units. So the 12 unit was the first property that we owned as a small commercial multifamily. That's how we got into there. We did took on one partner, one single one uh, partner, and which is a colleague of mine. Um, and uh, we mo- removed ourselves from the business, so removed my husband from the business. So I hired a property management company uh, to manage it for me, so I don't have to deal with the tenant day day in day out. And then I also got a commercial loan done, which was really difficult to do your first commercial loan. So got that done um, and then the rest is kind of history. That's how we got into the larger multifamily um, subsequently as well. So um, and then after we started to um, basically do that, we decided that the deal kind of started running out because market is going up and up and up. Um, so we found it was really difficult to find a deals locally in Seattle this is where we live. Um, so therefore we looked out of state investment and then so we were told when you go out of state investment, you have to buy a lot of larger property, probably more than 100 unit. Then you can have an on-site manager uh, and then things gets a lot easier. So we did that. Um, and then but you don't have money to buy, you know, a 100 unit apartment. Not, not everybody does. Right. Like we have enough of capital to do something with it, but not 100 units. Um, so that's how we got into syndication, which is pull investors money together to buy. Uh, apartments. Um, so the first one we participated in as a minor role was a 170 unit apartment in Dallas. We also um, spent hundreds of, thousands of money on education and joined different network groups to kind of be in that circle of getting the deal done and working with investors at a higher caliber. Um, and that's how we got in our first deal. And in 2018, um, and the first one was 170 unit in Fort Worth. Uh, So then the rest is kind of history, and uh, we now have holdings in uh, Phoenix, Dallas, and Houston, and over 2,000 units that we are principal ownerships on um, that we mostly run the deals for, yeah.
0: So that's quite quite the story. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah. I, again, I think the motivation part is huge. Everything is about the mm. mindset. Once yeah. we kind of believe in, oh, we can do this, it becomes a foregone conclusion. We are going to do this. Then the rest of the question is like how do we do this and who do we need to be engaged with to to get this done.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I find that um really interesting actually, which I'd love to touch on first. Um but I guess overall Today we're discussing, you know, taking that, I guess, full plunge into um, entrepreneurship. Some of our listeners are still, you know, uh, perhaps on the cusp or they're working one job and, you know, um, wanting to take the plunge. Um, So that's what we're, you know, discussing overall. But I'm really keen to speak more about because as, you know, our podcast – is all about you know celebrating like collaboration over competition, and it sounds like much of your success has been, you know, through collaboration and and things like that. So I'm really keen to, yeah, hear more about how collaboration has helped your business grow.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Because I think multifamily, as I always tell people, it is a team sports really. Um, again, com- compared to that, because you got investors on any given deals, you may have, you know, like anywhere between 30 to 150 investors in there. So that itself is a team sport. So I think um, being a product manager, program manager in my past life really equipped me very well to run the team. Uh, and then herding cats is what we call it, right? Our day to day job is the herding cats at the times when I was a product manager, um, is to make sure along any way in the pipeline, uh, you're working with every parts of your team, your design team, your, uh, you know, your developers and all that stuff to deliver the product that you envision. And then I think in multifamily investment, it's very much the same thing that first of all, you need to find partners and then you need to find vendors um, and this, outer ring partner who's not going to be in, in your deal, but who's going to actually help you execute the deal. Um, this includes property management, tax professionals, lawyers, you know, uh, accountants, bookkeepers and uh, local real estate brokers and the lenders and just to name a few. Um, so in a single acquisition, you can be involving upwards more than 10, 10 different parties. Um, And then you have your partners that you have to manage your partners are people who is because honestly, to run a hundred unit apartment or even a 20 unit apartment just by yourself is a lot of work. Um, You don't want to be the landlord. You want to be a real estate investor. Uh, Investors are different than landlord because landlord go and collect the rents and they perform. Maintenance, repair, tasks by themselves, uh, and then the investors leverage the team so that they don't even need to swing a hammer to actually make the return out of investment. Um, so in these cases, you know, we partner with our other partner because in in the 170 unit deal, uh, you need a second person to really help you think about your business plan. Is it really working? You know, so you have that type of partnerships. Um, and also certain people are very good at with acquisition, finding deals. So certain people are really good at finding money and you, you kind of like the marriage of both. Um, so these are what partners for. Um, and then you have your professional team who I named a few before. Um, and then you have your investors who has to share a same goal and vision with us. Not all investors are built the same. So we always have a interview with our prospect investors to make sure they are right fit for our philosophy, for our investments, philosophy, what we stand for, uh, you know, all that sort of stuff. So all together, if you count them, including your investor, you could be having upward 200 people involved in one single deal. So it's very much of a team sports. And in your management execution team, there's at least like, you know, three, four parties that is decision making that needs to happen. you know, business plans needs to happen. And you're kind of using each other as Uh, sounding board for that. So, yeah, so it's very much of a team sports collaboration for that to work. Um, And then each person, so in order to buy these large commercial properties, for example, just using an example, in order to make a $10 million purchase, you need to have basically two or $3 million for down payment. Maybe a single person can do that, right? 10 is on the lower end of the things. And then you also, in order to get the loan done, you need to have prior experience with same type of loan. Uh, It's really funny, the lender will ask you prior experience, but someone always have to start somewhere, but they just pretend that doesn't happen. Like you all have experience when you walk in there. Uh, So if you don't, then you need a partner that already have experience to help you sign the loan. Um, And then you have to have the net worth that covers the deal, which is about $10 million purchase, maybe $8 million net worth. Um, And the liquidity after you close that equals to one year of operation expenses that can be simply I don't know the math over there, but 500 K or you know 700 K in liquidity, you know, not everybody has everything checks every single box. So then you have partners that will fulfill these or together you combined checks on these boxes, right? So that itself is a collaboration. And, and I think the biggest the leverage you have, often people think, well syndication, you leverage people's money, leveraging people's money is the most value of teamwork. That's actually not true. I think actually the most scarce resources are actually people's time and the people's resources and talent. Um, so if you're a business owner thinking about hiring an employee, that's actually you realize the value of your employees' skill set and their their time is actually the most valuable resource on earth. I think money in comparison is actually relatively easy to get um, mm. to get the right. Yeah. So, so I, I would say yes, a multifamily apartment syndication is definitely collaboration, it, it coming from every single aspect
0: yeah yeah that's 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 great and what is more valuable is people's time rather than money or investment
1: right or or their skill set it's yeah. people is the talent that they are yeah yeah
0: yeah that's that's wonderful I, I love it uh and what i'd love to chat a bit more about earlier you mentioned about um you know the mindset and you knew you know this is what do I want to do? This is what's happening. And I guess you believed it would happen, but you didn't know, you know, the how, mm-hmm. right? So I guess, yeah. did you sort of picture in envision, what it was you wanted that you didn't sort of know the in-between of, of the how? Um, yeah. And what, what happened then? You know, it's always so interesting because so many people I find won't or it's scared to dream big because they don't know the how in between, you know? Yeah. But I guess you were like, no, nah, that's it. This is what's happening. And then you figured out the how? So how did that sort of happen for you? It's so interesting. Yeah,
1: yeah. so yes, that's kind of how, definitely how I work. And I've mentored people too. Mm. And I recognize that's not how everybody work, right? Because each of us are built differently. Um, for me, it was always about setting the goal. Um, and I think that's probably going back way back in my product management, um, you know, time where the day-to-day jobs I do, there's no day-to-day job really, because our job has very various, you know, different cycles too, is that, so what I do for my old work was like, oh, come up with some sort of product, right? And how envision what that experience will be. And then you fill in the blanks right and then you figure out what team needs to be involved and what how do you get there so i think now coming thinking back that definitely sets me up for this because there was never like oh like it's impossible to to do like that's usually coming from the developer but that's Mm -hmm. not my job to say like hey like it's you know um, developer's job is supposed to tell me what is not possible so (laughs) my job is pushing the team to what is the, you know, the, the utopia look like. Um, so I yeah. think some of that kind of gets transitioned into goal setting. But once I applied that into a personal goal setting, obviously I value education. So I did listen to a lot of podcasts, listen read a lot of mindset books, and also ultimately had mentors as well. So these really kind of helped you, right, in terms of that. But then the goal setting was like, OK, imagine Use your five minutes. One good exercise will be taking five minutes or t- your time and then just think about in five years or in 10 years, what is my life going to be if money isn't a like uh, isn't a limitation? So then you allow yourself to kind of free writing out with that five minutes, like within that five minutes, whatever comes to your mind to write it down. So went through a couple of these exercises, and then it was really clear to me, not it's not about how many units apartment that we own or anything else. It's about the lifestyle, the daily habits, where you want it to be. So you can write that down. And then now the rest, I feel like it's easy because now you know where you're going then you can kind of work on a roadmap for that. So mm. it's kind of how I always worked, but it also I knew probably because it's through the work that is like, hey, I imagine that like this out of reach product, and then all oh, the rest is just filling in spreadsheets and understand how each task can be broken down. But I think there's definitely values in breaking that large goal down to who, the second step is who can actually help you get there. Because, you know, you know, it can be done, right? So let's say one go is like only a billion dollar portfolio. And then you're like, wow, that's a huge go." But then it's like, oh, like, but you know, it can be done. You just need to look around to see who actually has done it. And then you have to think about a way to get to these people. So that you can mm-hmm. ask them how or if you're not, it's not attainable, then you can read their biography and kind of figure out how they got there. Right. And then you have some ideas on what are the larger steps that you needed to do. And then you can figure out additional resources who can help you get there. I love Dan Sullivan's book called Who Not How. It's a great book um, Mm. because it basically told you one of the things that he said was if you have if money can solve your problem, then you don't have a problem. It, It is who you need to get connected to or who can help you get there. And that who may be a partner that but the key is you also need to bring value to these people. So um so once you kind of figured out oh it has been done unless if you're going to the mars you're going to I mean Elon Musk is trying to go into the mars you know Jeff Bezos too so it's obviously yeah. haven't done it before um but NASA has these programs so there's the who for them to kind of reach out. So mm. Elon Musk I know has you know, uh, a committee that he made it up was a lot of NASA senior scientists. And, you know, that's kind of how he started his mass Mars mission. So um, I think the rest, I, I say it really easy, but it takes a lot of research mm-hmm. uh, to find out who you need to contact to and then really commit to either join, you know, that group of people uh, paying the tuitions to join sometimes um, mm-hmm. and then because the alternative is really not an option for me. Remember, like that alternative uh, by going to W 2 job all the time for the rest of my life, it was not an option. So that's a motivation. Um, and then once you have enough motivation, uh, you find the who, then the roadmap will become clear. It, you may go through a little bit circles by like try to explore what type of investment you want to get into and this and that. But then, when you do enough of exploration, you shouldn't be doing more than one year of exploration, and you should just pick something and commit to it. So for me, mm. it was like building from small circle to large because we already own a few single families, so we have a capital we can turn them into, fourplexes. Then it's just asking who can get that done. Like at the time, it's my real estate agent, connecting me with a lot of these resources and podcasts. And then from there to the commercial side was a big jump. But then there also we had a real estate agent refer us to a commercial real estate agent. And from the commercial real estate agent, we're able to get all the parties in line. And our loan doc, like a loan officer actually could not close our loan, our first transaction. Um, but instead, he feels so bad that he recommended us to someone else a referral. So then that person closed the loan for us. So, you know, there's always getting into heads first. Uh, but you also want to get in heads first with a little bit of education knowing that you have the right people on your team to help you execute uh, the plan that you want to do yeah, yeah and then for a syndication, it was like well we have no idea how to syndicate because we've ran small properties but how do you actually syndicate a property like buy and raise people's money so then that's why we joined a different network group different mentorship group paid a group tuitions on this and then we start socializing with people who all have the same goal, which is purchase a larger apartment building. Um, and then through that, through osmosis, through just putting the hours into networking and all that stuff, you learn so much more. And then at some point you feel confident enough to say like, I'm ready to do the first deal. Uh, and then you just go out there and you're like, well, I have no idea how to raise all these money, but I'm gonna go talk to every single soul that I know that may be possibly interested in investing the deal right? Um, and, and then from there, we, we kind of get into the next step. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I, what I what I absolutely love and find so fascinating uh, about you is how from your, you know, old role and, and qualification of, you know, designing products or coming up with product ideas, right? And of course, in your head, there they, they was something that, well, this doesn't exist, but that's okay, you know? And then, figuring out the the how and what I absolutely love is how then you went and applied that you know to your your own life you know it's like well if I can create this you know non-tangible thing to be a tangible thing you know I can do that as well with something else within my own life and that's that's so incredible I love that so powerful
1: Yeah. And I think everybody comes from a different background and you may have a different upbringing and a Mm -hmm. lot of like one of our podcasts, 10,000 Roads to Financial Independence, which we interviewed you on Gemma, is really a good opportunity for me to kind of understand people's mindset. Like, it's very, I'm very curious on like, how does people start with where they at? You Mm -hmm. know, and I think repeatedly, there's a theme of everybody who is on the show believed at some point themselves be able to do something. And so they always started with a vision and then they're able to kind of figure out filling in between to execute towards that. And then there's also a combination of obviously grit and actually rolling up your sleeve and working on things. It's not easy when you mm. have a full-hour W-2 job or even longer time that you're spending at your full-time job and still have to come home to clock in additional 20 hours a week. And that's what every entrepreneur probably went through, a successful ones. Um, but and through that, it's it's kind of like a, a exercise on grit, so that you because you have this constant vision, a burning desire that it's not really an option to st- step away from it. Like failure is not really an option. Like yeah, you can fail, you probably lose some money, whatever. But like I would have got up. Like if we failed on the project, I'd probably just got up and then just. Think about what we did that could be improved in the past and continue to go again. Right. So I think I think that that's very important. And I think that's resonated every single entrepreneur that we have interviewed. Um, you know, just kind of keep going, seeing that vision. You know, it's attainable because someone else is doing this. So surely it's attainable. Um, so it kind of fill in between the blanks.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I, I really love that. Um last point there about you know a failure and you just keep going but what what's in i guess like fails are part of the process right but what i love is like okay so that didn't work what do i learn from that yeah. you know and that's really such a, again that really takes that that grit like you said you know, whereas so many people that, oh, no, that didn't work, you know, throw the hands up. It was all too hard, you know, but it really is that if you have that burning desire, you will look at that, you know, fail. Mm-hmm. If you even want to call it that, I guess let's call it like a purposeful fail. Right. And then be like, okay, what worked? What didn't? How could I improve it? And then try again and then try again. Right. right. And that's, I guess, the that grit of the, the entrepreneur, you know. Yeah.
1: And I would say I plot to a lot of entrepreneur that's out there just kind of taking the plunge by the self, like we didn't really quite do that. Whereas a more a calculated move. Um, and I would advise this to any entrepreneur would be like out there or business owner in the future um, is like nothing is preventing you from doing something as a psychic, like, yeah. you know, you, you write articles, you create content. So you know that you don't need to quit your full time job, whatever that is, all right, in order to start a side business writing content. Unless if you have a non compete, are certain jobs that has non compete agreements in there, then that you kind of toast it there. Um, but most jobs don't. So you know I can be working a W two job and nobody's preventing me from invest my own money into other people's syndication deal just to learn the ropes, right? Without having to jump in the head first. Um, so slowly we were having this, ro- again, roadmap on how much money. So we were very clear down from the go where this is like this picturesque you know, vision on where it needs to be. It's all emotional touched. But then you can work down to a number where you need to be and where you want to be. That's not the same level. Um, and where you need to be is the minimal that you can need to survive. And then what you want to be has a lot more, maybe five times more than what you want to do. Um, and recognize that it's comfort level. It's at what point are you confident to quit your job? So I would definitely advocate on more a strategic way to quit your job. For a few folks, you know, not being distracted, focus on a single focus is the only way they go. Then for those folks, I would say, yeah, take the plunge, but make sure you save enough, uh, maybe a year enough of runway or two year enough runway, give yourself that runway there's always something that you can fall back with definitely leave every single job with a positive you know handover if you can not every single job will lead to that but you know if you can don't burn the bridges um and and then the second thing is if you have this plan which is nice thing about real estate investing is somewhat passive so allows you to have freedom of time to work on the stuff that you want to So it allows you to kind of basically only spend a couple hours at the real estate investing, and then you kind of slowly ramp up that cash flow, that passive cash flow. And then when you reached enough passive cash flow, that's where you said, oh, well, I don't really need my job. So now it becomes a choice whether I want to stay at my job or not. Like I happen to not enjoy my job at the time. So, you know, for me, it was like you're working towards that really hard. But for a lot of my investors, they actually love their job. They don't really want to quit their W-2, um, but they still want to invest in real estate or investing something on the side so that they have the security because your job is elusive. It's actually not secure. You can be laid off tomorrow just due to no fault of yours. That's not really secure. But then your investment that you have total control of is actually more secure than what you think your job is, right? So a lot of people just had that fourth false security with full time job. Um, and I think if you think about proactively replacing your income or matching your income that's coming from your job, then you're good. You're set up because your investment is returning these passive income. Mm. Um, and at that point, you know, I didn't reach my job status before I quit my job, but it's more the mentality of. Okay, my business going and it's established a model. I'm very confident by quitting my job, I'll be making more money than staying at my job because I was limited on time resources to really take my business and flourish. And you you will know what that point is. You'll um, come to an inflation point where you said, "Okay, by staying at my W two job, I'm actually uh, limiting my ability and throughputs through life." Um, and that's when you know it's the right time to quit.
0: Yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, and I guess just quickly on a side note to define a W-2 job for um, us Australian listeners, how, yeah. would you, how would you define what exactly that is?
1: <laughs> well, so we have the, uh, sometimes we define things in tax codes. Uh, so uh. w quickly is a w-2 form that you have to you will receive as a full-time employee and then on tax years you will file that you give that to your cpa or you put it into a, a software, uh tax software to enter what you return so simply a w-2 job is a full-time day job mm-hmm. uh, that you were hired to do in in, uh, in contrast to a contractor consultant like independent worker
0: yeah. yeah, right. Okay, cool. So that's it's actually like a, a tax bracket thing.
1: Yeah, cool. <laughs> yeah. A daytime job you spent probably 40 hours
0: at. A week. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. I love that. And I also, uh, you know, love how, you know, don't, if there's something that you, you're really thinking about creating or doing, you know, you can do it on the side. Like you don't have to leave, you know, your, your full time job straight up.
1: Yeah because it's going to actually add a lot of stress. If you didn't save up enough wrong way, like a one or two years wrong way, um, it's going to give you a lot of stress, which you can avoid launching a new business as stressful as it is. And you will fail when you first launch a business. Um, you may have an idea where you ended up with a product after frequent testing, maybe something completely different. Right. And, and um, yeah. you don't want to add that having that additional stress added into your already stressful, like 80 hour a week startup life. Um, So that that would be something I would say I'm a huge proponent of. You don't need to quit right out. Like make sure at least you have some reserves that will give your business a lot more chance to succeed. I actually recently interviewed a person on my podcast and he mentioned one of the biggest lesson he learned from all his failed like 20 businesses in the past was because he didn't have enough runway food to budget for them. So every time he failed, he would just change into a different occupation. Right. So that does not um, serve to a successful business. The longevity comes from the failing forward is learning from your mistake, learning from you lose money. Now, how do we actually fix this You know, the on the whole apartment? investing world not everything we did was a home run Um, a lot of the projects were challenging and i would say gladly it was in the beginning these challenges present itself so we figure out how to overcome them or adding process and procedures to avoid them in the future Um, so that actually makes our investment better and better over the years right Mm -hmm. so um and then actually the failure taught us the best lessons because if, imagine if I have to take over a class A project, class A means like the best build, post 2000 build, big apartments, fancy luxury house, uh, luxury apartments, versus a class C product that is a workforce housing, older property, we'll probably do a value add strategy on it. So imagine if my first project was a class A, well run operating machine, I just took it over and it was yielding cash from day one. Um, I would not learn how to deal with delinquent tenants. If COVID was to hit, nobody is paying their rent, then I have no idea how to collect them. Right? So like, and imagine if I take over the Class A projects that had no issues with it, I would not know how to deal with boiler and chiller. I would not know how to deal with, you know, budgeting for um, plumbing that always come to be a problem. So like you couldn't wrong some of these projects and make them profitable. But then on opposite side, not that we intended to buy per purchase property like that, but nothing's ever going as expected. You know, we dealt with high crime properties before and we knew how to deal with them now. And we dealt with a, def- a lot of like a property with a lot of deferred maintenance, which means everything is breaking. <laughs> and you kind of know like approximately what the quotes were for them are, and you know what to spot for when you're doing due diligence. And we dealt with a bad property management that we have to swap out. So you went through that whole process and understand what the ramp up time is, is the right decision to make um, and also be able to spot the bad property management uh, now, now moving forward. Um, so if you didn't run into all these challenges before, then you wouldn't know how to deal with them, mm. right? Which makes you a much stronger operator during COVID. Were much more operational, like the stuff that we manage performed better uh, than stuff that I passively invested in other people's deal, um, because these lessons that we learned uh, prior prior to COVID.
0: Mm, yeah, absolutely. That that's wonderful. It's um, yeah. So of course you would never want to change. You know the the journey. You would never want to not face those challenges because you always going to learn something you know it's, it's almost like a failure way to success right, right?
1: <laughs> if you have someone who's paying you a daytime job paycheck while you're figuring this out mm. like while you're testing these idea out that's great so all you needed to commit is your time mm. because it's kind of safe because someone else is paying your salary you're still writing on that and you don't have to think about replacing your salary at the time so i feel like hindsight I always thought about because i used to paint as well at one point in my painting journey i was actually thinking about oh i should just quit all right and be an artist right but then i'm glad i didn't do that um <laughs> because if i wasn't selling painting on my side job then what's to say i can sell painting full time like by having more time doesn't give me more skill sets to do it but then if i was using my time to figure out what is a good selling pitch with like who should i target all that sort of stuff and once you kind of tweak that so you're actually selling paintings then you're going to have much more successful uh road to well you're going to have much more smoother road to success on become an artist or whoever you want to be
0: yeah, mm, yeah that's good. wonderful that's just brilliant and what do you think just I guess before we will come close to wrapping up, uh, what do you think is your biggest lesson that you learned along the way? If you have one biggest lesson, I know it's always a-
1: Yeah, I was <laughs> two, I get asked this all the time. I was thinking about it. I, th- I think really three, like obviously be very clear, and honest with yourself um, about what your goals are, what really motivates you. Mm. That's really coming from internal, and, but that drives your whole life. You only have one life, So you have to, like, really make the most intentional most out of it. Right. And then nobody else can change that other than yourself. So by having a very clear vision and not limiting your mindset to say, I can't do that, like, who said you can't do that? Mm -hmm. You just got to have to set it. Right. So at least entertain it. Um, And so having a very clear goal. Um, And then the second part of it is um, really get really good education. Like, you know, if you just had the money to invest but not doing all your research then that's silly because you're just gonna fail but you will have no idea why you failed. So getting reason investing yourself, getting and must like spend money on education is very important. And spend money in investing in other people. Don't think that you're gonna do everything yourself because that's just gonna slow you down. Hire other people to do the proper things that they do the best. It's gonna help you accelerate. So investing yourself in that fold. And then the last thing is kind of just do it, you know, because we have procrastinations. When you have procrastinations, it's probably because something that you haven't figured out,
0: your Mm -hmm. intuition
1: is slowing you down and like holding you back. And then you have to dig deeper into like, to see what is exactly that and try to resolve that. But then really don't let, uh, what do they call the, it basically by procrastinating, like an over-analyzing, I forgot what it is called. Over- yeah, procrastination <laughs> Then you become procrastination because you use over-analyzation. You kind of mm. walk away from, in our investment world, is walking away from every single deal. Because when I first started investing too, it was I was fear of something. Is You're not mm. confident enough knowledge. So I'm overcompensating by just not doing, oh, that's not a good deal. I don't want to do it like this and that. Right. Oh, like I'm going to my underwriting, my analysis is conservative enough, but I'm going to make it more conservative. So the deal is not working. Um, you try to, you know, underwrite your deal. So it works. So mm-hmm. just taking action. Right. So taking action, you say, you know what, I'm going to take this step forward. It may be a failure. It may be a, a success, but you wouldn't know. Either way, if you don't take that step. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, for sure. That That's it, you know, and it, it is that it, it's like we imagine what, what will happen, but how do we actually know? And I think it's the worry of, you know, picturing some future scenario that may never happen. And that's when we start to procrastinate and overanalyze and think that we need to have it perfect. And you know then become overwhelmed with things you know and that's it, it's yeah. all sort of those procrastination techniques because we're we're scared of an outcome that may not even happen you know so yeah. I, I love to sort of say just face that fear and know that what you're worried about is a fictional scenario and how will you know it all unless you just take the action and see what happens
1: yeah. And actually, I want to share, like, I was just reading a book by Jeff Basil, or talking about Jeff Bezos lately, he had this like really neat test. It's what he called an 80 year test or something, where he says, okay, by making a decision, very intuitively, um, am I going to regret the decision, which decision, which way I'm going to regret more when I'm 80 year old, looking back in my life. So that's where he made the plunge of quitting his cush job and become the founder of Amazon, the rest of his history, because he said, I can't live with myself not doing that. And, you know, looking back when I'm an 80 year old. So I was like, oh, that was a really good test. If You need to like really have a gauge on, are you are you making the right choice, you know?
0: Mm, absolutely, I, I love that. And I, I, um, I remember reading somewhere once, years and years and years ago, I'm gonna say when I was early teen, uh, and yeah, I remember reading, and it's always stuck in my head. It's very similar. It's like when people are dying, you know, what they regret are the things they didn't do, you know? Right. So it's yeah. similar to what he said as well. Sort of imagine yourself, you know, when you're potentially dying, right? What are you going to regret not doing in your life? Right. Exactly. You know? Yeah. 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 and yeah I guess just do what you can to to take those actions you do it um yeah well wow this has been fabulous thank you so much <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah i guess can you tell tell our listeners where they can find you if they'd want to get in contact with you
1: yeah definitely um they can find us on our educational site it's called easyFIuniversity.com um, and that's my name initial with fi stands for financial independence university.com spelled out so easyfi university.com um, and that uh, you can book time with me on our about page over there and check out the free articles that we write about mostly U.S. based financial advices on investing in real estate in U.S. what did that look like um, but we also get into you know tax advice we're not CPA we're not tax professionals, but we get into some strategic topics about how to save taxes. Um, if you live in US as a US resident, um, as Australians, I don't think there's much tax saving that you can do over there. But we do plenty on some articles on investing as foreigners into yeah. US. Because I know mm-hmm. in Australia, we always complain about how cap rates or whatever jargon are super compressed in U.S. market. Not until we survey the international land, like people are like, "What cash flow? When I invest in property, what are you talking about cash flow?" You know, so U.S. is a few country that still have cash flow benefits uh, when you invest in cash flowing uh, vehicles such as multifamilies, etc. So we have articles kind of covers that. How does that all work? Um, yeah, and then some personal finance and mindset stuff.
0: So. Yeah awesome i love it absolutely brilliant thank you so much for for joining us and sharing your wealth of knowledge with us and and me and our listeners thank you so much
1: thank you you, Gemma, for having me and uh, our first international interview
0: (laughs) oh yeah no it's been an absolute pleasure and that is a wrap for this week and as always everyone remember You're not alone as business owners because collaboration is power.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Thanks for tuning into our podcast. If you enjoyed it, hit subscribe. If you'd like to learn more, then check out our website, www.workwifewinetime.com.au. While you're there, jump on our mailing list to receive special updates and offers from our guests. Until next time, take care and drink responsibly.